You're listening to the Tan Talk Radio Network. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt. At the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727 501 9090. That's 727 501 9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727 501 9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. It's not smart to go wandering so far from home. <laughs> I reckon he picked the wrong trail. Or he could have picked the wrong town. His big mistake, I think, was getting born. You want any work? Looking like that. You could try being a scarecrow. Oh, no, the crows are liable to scare him, maybe. Get three coffins ready. Uh, huh? Adios, amigo. Listen, stranger. Did you get the idea? We don't like to see bad boys like you in town. Go get your mule. <laughs> you let him get away from you? <laughs> uh, you see, that's what I want to talk to you about. He's feeling real bad. Huh? My mule. You see, he got all riled up when you went and fired those shots at his feet. Hey, you making some kind of joke? Mm, no. You see, I understand you men were just playing around, but the mule, he just doesn't get it. Of course, if you were to all apologize. <laughs> I don't think it's nice you laughing. You see, my mule don't like people laughing. It's the crazy idea you're laughing at him. Now, if you apologize like I know you're going to, I might convince him that you really didn't mean it. I saw the whole thing. You killed all four of them. You'll be all right. You'll be strung up. Who are you? Don't fire a shot. I'm John Baxter. Sheriff. Yeah, 
Well, if you're the sheriff, you better get these men on the ground. My mistake, poor coffins. Numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Hi, this is Dave McClellan, the voice of NHRA. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live. Here in the studio in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget, if you missed any of our past shows, be sure to check out our website and go to the Nostalgic Radio and Cars podcast page. Good evening, Bobby. How you doing? I'm doing fine. You want to uh, share all our social media contacts? Yes. Please? Yes. Go ahead. I can do that. You can do that? Facebook and LinkedIn. We have Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Simple as that. Slash Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Uh, Twitter and Periscope. At NRC on air and YouTube, Nostalgic Radio and Cars is the channel name. How about that? And don't forget to check out Speed Culture, the enthusiast mobile app. If you haven't downloaded it yet, it's available on your iPhone and at the, uh, what do they call it? The Google Play, Store. Play Store. Google Play Store, right. And don't forget the website is speedcultureapp.com. And if you don't know how to get to either one of those stores, speedcultureapp.com can direct you to your phone store. Phone store, how about that? Anyway, so, hey guys, welcome, and uh, we got a great show for you tonight. we got a very interesting guest coming on a little bit later. I think i got my voice back to some degree right now, because what you guys don't know is after the show last Tuesday evening, suddenly I started going hoarse. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, by the time Friday rolled around, when we went to Sebring for the uh, for the Sebring 12-hour race, um, I was at a whisper. So Bobby had to do all the talking for me. So we had a pretty good time, though. Anyway, Bobby, you did have a good time at Sebring, right? Please clap. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so we got to see some pretty cool cars, some pretty cool guys. We got to see, uh, let's see who all was there. Well, obviously the the latest and greatest of the new Ford GTs, the EcoBoost car. Uh, Don't make me come up! I'm sorry, i got to call you back. <laughs> uh, the EcoBoost Ford GT, which is uh, sponsored... Not you're not funny. <laughs> yeah, which was sponsored by Chip Canassi. And i got to tell you, hey, listen, guys, I am a diehard Ford guy. But the the Ford was so pathetic. It was so anemic. I you know. I say that big talk's worth doodly squat. I know Ford's trying to push their EcoBoost motor, but you know what? You got to have at least eight cylinders. It doesn't work with six and some little blowers or huffers or suckers or whatever you want to call them, turbochargers on there. Now the only company in the world that has perfected a six-cylinder motor and that is a flat-six motor, I might add, is Porsche. Porsche has pioneered and perfected the flat-six motor. But even they have upped from, you know, two liters to four and change. Of course, they don't tell us what the race motors are. You know, the production car, like the GT3 RSs, are four liters and close to 600 horsepower, 500 and some odd change. And the Porsches did pretty good this weekend. 
they did modestly fair. They did in the in the top class. They didn't do too good. In the lower GT classes, they did okay. Ferrari did pretty good. They had some mechanical issues. Lamborghini was actually out there. They did pretty good. I was pretty impressed with them. And Chevrolet actually kind of went at the last uh, 15 seconds or so and got beat by some foreign car. I think it was either a to- no Honda. Honda beat them in their uh, in in their car. So you know it's kind of like a NASCAR. You know when Toyota beats like Ford and Chevy and the other company there, Mopar, whatever, you know, so yeah, we're equal opportunity people here. So we have to be pro American cars, pro European cars for all cars. But you know what? You just, you, you have your fans, you, you root for Ford or Chevrolet or Chrysler, you know, or if you're in a Ford car department, you obviously root for them, but the Japs are coming on pretty strong. So they got some pretty fast cars out there and they did pretty good. And technology is amazing these days. And I'm not so sure how much of the driving skills are really in the hands or how much of the race wins and success in racing can really be attributed to the driver because the technology has made these drivers really, really good. And case in point, a good buddy of mine, one of my best friends, Don, he races in vintage. Okay, years ago, years and years ago, he'll probably get mad for me for saying this, but years ago I used to do a little better than him. I was a pretty good driver. But we were a little bit more active back then. But nowadays, he can blow my doors in. I mean, literally blow my doors in. But, of course, I haven't driven in a while, so I'm a little rusty, as they say. But anyway, so he runs kind of a vintage car. And he's also pretty good. And he's good enough that he's basically an instructor for some of the driving events. Well, he was driving a guy's car for him. And it was a late model Porsche. It was a 991 or something like that. So Don got in the car. And he was driving the car, and obviously when you're an instructor, you drive the person's car, and then they ride past your side, and then they, you basically kind of show them, you know, the braking points, you know, where to go into a turn, you know, how to set up for the turn, how to follow a line, you know, and things of that nature. And keep your distance from the other guys, and stay out of the way of the faster drivers. Rule number one. Okay, and most importantly, if you are a slower driver, hold your line, particularly on a road course, okay, because you don't want to get run over, and you don't want to cause any kind of mishaps. Anyway, so he gets in his car, and he drives his Porsche, and he actually had a faster track time in a totally strange car, but very high-tech Porsche. His comment was, when he got out of the car, he says, now I see why these Porsches win, because they're so technologically advanced, you can take the worst driver and make him appear to be really, really good. So, in other words, his com- his his analogy was that if he was in his car, which is professionally set up, but it's a little bit older car, older technology, but still very, very fast. But the new Porsches have, you know, all that stability control. They have the unbelievable brakes. They got unbelievable acceleration. They got technology. They got all these little things that correct you if you're a complete nincompoop on the race car track, you know, and make you look like you're a really, really good driver. And you can make a really, really good driver in a not-so-great car look bad. And that's where I take issue. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway, was that a scarecrow? Or a scare- I don't know. That just, just, that just was just in there. It just, just popped in there. But anyway, so uh, that's our take on that. Now, of course, Sunday... We went up to Gainesville to the Gator Nationals. You know, we went, we like talk about extreme racing. So on Friday, we were at Sebring, you know, watching the, the qualifying and some of the, and the vintage cars race. And it was pretty cool, okay? And uh, on Sunday, we went to the finals at uh, Gainesville for the NHRA uh, Nationals. Or not NHRA Nationals, the NHRA, yeah, NHRA Gator Nationals. Anyway, th- you know, it's cool because we were in the media center this time and it was. Yeah! 
<laughs> yeah, we were right behind the starting line. So, you know, it was kind of funny because when Bobby and I first walked up there, there were, you know, the, 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 the top field cars were staging. And I, I was kind of looking around, and we were trying to get our bearings a little bit. And all of a sudden, it just lit. Well, you know, think about it. Eight to 10,000 horsepower is what these guys put down. And it's like the ground trembles, you know. I mean, if you're not, if you don't have your ears plugged, okay, or if you're not, you know, paying attention, you, it's it's uh, it's pretty pretty. What's the word I'm looking for here? Pretty overwhelming. I guess that's a, a conservative way of saying it. But anyway, so we were up in the media center. We got some good photography up there, and you're right there behind the starting line. You watch the guys do the burnouts. You watch them set up. You watch them stage. You know, you watch them. You know, slowly one by one through attrition, just uh, annihilate one another. And uh, it was pretty impressive. Now we got to watch basically Top Fuel, uh, the Funny Cars, the Pro Mods. And super stock and the motorcycles. Now, you know, some of those motorcycles were doing close to 200 and they were trying to break the 200 mark. But here's what the funny story was, or the best part about the whole deal was, is as we walked up there, we're wearing our speed culture shirts, right, Bobby and I? So I come walking around the, the trailer to pick up our media credentials and the lady comes walking up to me and she says, uh, uh, Are you guys Harley Davidson fans? And I'm thinking, Yeah, sure, why not? I mean, what brought that up? You know, I didn't, I didn't that kind of caught me off guard. And she goes, Oh, okay. And uh, I said, uh, Where do we get our media credentials? A Star Wars website. <laughs> anyway, so uh, as I'm walking around the corner, there's this guy standing there. You know, he's got a kind of a jacket on, you know, like a motorcycle jacket. And you know, he's got some leathers on. And he basically says, uh, I'm on the phone. Uh, well, he didn't quite say that. But I, I walked past him and I looked at him and I go, you know, you look kind of familiar. And he didn't say anything. He just smiled. And I said, you know, would your name be Willie G. Davidson, by any chance? And he just kind of smiled and said, yes. Sure enough, that's what it is. That's the grandson of uh, Harley and Davidson, you know, Mr. Davidson, who founded the uh, Harley Davidson company, motorcycle company back in the day. Anyway, so he was gracious enough to sit there and chat with us for a few minutes, and we took some pictures. So if you go to our Facebook page, you can see a picture of Bobby, myself, and Willie G. Davidson. Now, we were hanging out with our friends at the uh, Amelie Oil uh, tent. Because they've got a top fuel car. And, you know, it's funny because Ron Caps was on a radio show. Tony Pendergram was up there, but he was in the booth, so we couldn't talk to him. There was a number, number of other people that we saw while we were there. Uh, the Gas Monkey guys had a pro mod, or had a pro stock car out there, and it did pretty well. I don't remember, because we had to leave early because we had a schedule. We had a previous engagement, so we didn't get a chance to hang around until the final runs. But we were there where we saw basically... Courtney Force was in the finals. Brittany was in the finals. Emily was in the finals. Ron Cap was in the finals. And Gas Monkey was in the finals. Now, that means by that I mean they were like uh, two two races away from from victory. But uh, our special guest for the evening is going to fill us in on the highlights because he was there. Now, Bobby, I think we ought to go to a commercial break real quick because we got to get ready for our our special guest for the evening. So go ahead and uh, what do we got? We got a little music tuned up for us, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're really begging for some music, I guess. Oh, yeah, we're begging. Since Here our comes gu- Frankie Valley. Since our special guest is from New Jersey, this goes out to our special guest for the evening, uh, the New Jersey guys, right? Jersey Boys, was this the mo- movie was based on these guys, right? Anyway, hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Waiting Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. I'm
listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk. At the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727 501 9090. That's 727 501 9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727 501 9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Frustrated looking for car shows? Want the latest in automotive news? How about videos and podcasts? Well, check out Speed Culture, the comprehensive automotive app now available on Google Play and the App Store. Speed Culture brings you motorsports event listings based on your current location. Speed Culture also brings you the latest news feeds, videos, podcasts, and more. Speed Culture, the automotive enthusiast mobile app. For more information, check out speedcultureapp.com and download it today. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Well, I've tried everything to get along with you. Now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to quit my crying. I'm going to leave you alone. If you don't believe I'm leaving, you can count the day I'm going to leave. You're going to need your love and daddy in some day. Yeah, please. 
California. Big action early in the year. Trackside, here's Steve Evans to call it. Drag racing is the ultimate test of acceleration. These dragsters are built for a single purpose, to complete the quarter-mile distance of the drag strip in the shortest possible time. Perfect condition is the order of the first day's activities, tech inspection and classification. But the drag racer's equipment is flawlessly maintained, so there's very little trouble in the tech lanes. Although to ensure safety, a thorough examination is always performed. The weight of the car will affect its class of competition as compared with its engine power potential. Drag racers don't take any chances. Here's ace handler Danny and Gaia suiting up, ready for a qualifying run. That's a fireproof suit, face mask and gloves, along with this helmet for complete protection in case of trouble at speed. Stock cars are a big favorite here at the Pomona Winter Nationals. Fans eagerly watch their favorite makes in competition. And everyone certainly likes the funny cars, which are factory experimentals incorporating test features not found on showroom models. Even the gals get into drag racing these days. Shirley Shahan, housewife and mother of three, is among the top names in the sport. In this final round of Top Stock Eliminator, Miss Dragon Lady takes the title after beating some 40 male competitors. The first woman to win a major title in drag racing. The big dragsters are loaded with high-energy nitromethane fuel. The big slicks are extra wide for a good bite on the track. More than 200 miles per hour, a parachute to help slow the car reassures the driver. Hi, this is John Force, and uh, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is probably very well known in the NHRA world and circles. He is the national event announcer, or actually, I should say, retired. National event announcer for NHRA, the always entertaining and witty Bob Fry. Welcome to Nostalgia Winter and Cars, Bob. Boy, I'm glad you put that retired part in. I thought I was going to have to go back to work for a while. Well, you know, when I played that clip, I thought, you know, maybe you might be enticed to kind of hang around again. I mean, I, I did see you at the Gators this weekend. Yeah, it was a wonderful weekend. I, I got a chance to come down on uh, on Wednesday, actually, because I, I always MC. I shouldn't say always, but for the last 15 years, I've emceed the Don Gardner's Hall of Fame uh, ceremonies, which is Thursday night before the Gator Nationals, and usually I go down and I get to spend some time down at uh, Don's museum and touring some of the uh, the back rooms that not a lot of people get to go see. It's one of the perks of being able to do the uh, do the banquet. So, and then I was there, so I hung around for another couple of days and and got to go to the Gator Nationals, which has always been one of my favorite races. You know, being an East Coast guy, and it's one of those events that. When they have three good days of weather, which they didn't have this year, um, it's as good as any drag race in the country. So it was, it was a nice weekend. Nice to get out and see some uh, some old friends, see some new faces in the winter circle, see some good performances, and and of course, uh, you know, kicking it all off with the Hall of Fame week was was just way cool. Super. Well, now give us a little history on yourself. Tell us a little bit how you got into the uh, the world of announcing, especially NHRA. I mean, drag racing. Well. I actually started because three of us went to a, a drag race here in my hometown of Atco, New Jersey. I still live in the same town, and uh, we went there, and my a friend of mine had a 65 uh, Plymouth, and we were going to create this really great racing team, so they decided, let's let's find out who the best driver is, and 
three of us made runs, and I had the worst elapsed time, so uh, I was not going to be the driver. And then the the car was overheating, and my friend told me to go check and see what was overheating, and I couldn't find the hood latched open the hood, so I figured I wasn't going to be a mechanic. And uh, just then they announced at the track that they were looking for a for an announcer. And my two friends figured, well, you can't drive and you can't work on the engine, so why don't you just leave us alone? So I went up there and uh, started announcing and never drove another car down the track in my life. <laughs> but, uh, what kind of car was it, by the way? It was a 65 Plymouth. They had a, three, uh, a 426 wedge engine, single four-barrel, uh, 365 uh, horsepower, and a friend of mine, Dan McIsaac, who still lives down in Florida, as a matter of fact. And uh, it was a really nice car. We really enjoyed going out there and, uh, and racing it. But um, the, the folks at ATCO, ironically, were looking for an announcer because their announcer uh, had gotten hired to go do the NASCAR drag races. Uh, a lot of people don't remember the NASCAR did drag races. Uh, in fact, before you called, I was looking at a program from Speed Week in 1960, the Winter National, sponsored by NHRA and NASCAR, co-sponsored event. And so he got hired to go to the NASCAR races, and they needed another announcer here at the track in Jersey. And, you know, I auditioned, and I guess I either did a good job or worked cheap, one or the other, because I stayed there for 18 years. Oh, I'll be darned. Now, ATCO Raceway, is that what it's called? Where's that in relationship to, like, New Jersey or English Town or something like that, which is the other? Well, I live in the town where ATCO is. We're, we're exactly 30 miles from Philadelphia and 30 miles from Atlantic City where I live. And uh, from my house to the tower at uh, English Town is 54 miles north. And I'm 90 miles east of Maple Grove. And then there's another track down in Merlin, Cecil County. So a lot of drag ship around, the, around this part of the country. But I'm, the, I'm in the southern part of the state. Um, just between Philly and Atlantic City. Okay. Now, the 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 track that you raced or started announcing it, that was kind of a small track then? Well, it's interesting. Uh, ATCO, uh, for back then, they actually started in 1959. Um, when I was announcing it, I started in 66. Um, it was as good a track as it was in the country. I mean, they weren't running national events there, but all the big-name stars came there. And when they used to run um, uh, with the NASCAR thing, they had what they called an ultra-stock class, and um, you know, Jack Roush actually had a car, and he came in and, and ran it there, and the Sox and Martin guys came up and ran. And, and then um, in the late 60s and early 70s, it was the last NHRA points race for the year. So all the cars that needed to claim one more points race would, would come in. Larry Dixon's dad came down here, the Ram Chargers, you know, Nicholson, and all those guys were here. And then they had some of the great match races back in the mid-60s with Jungle Jim and uh, Eddie Sharpman and Jack Christman. And so it, it was a big-time racetrack back then, but... Uh, you know, being here in the Pinelands in New Jersey, they're kind of restricted what they can do as far as building and everything. But they still run a, a really good operation. Uh, as far as a weekly track, it's probably as good a weekly operation as there is in the country. They run, you know, tune and test and then street race nights and, uh, you know, grudge runs. They run probably five nights a week. So it's a, it's a pretty good track. And then for those that, you know, have followed the sport, you know, Atco's got a, got a pretty good name. And, and a lot of people probably know the town because of the drag strip. Interesting. Now, is it a, uh, still a quarter mile, or are they shorten it down yeah. to an eighth? It is a quarter uh, mile. It's a full quarter mile, and, you know, you can run. It's a long track, probably. It's almost a mile long. It's, it's been one of the longer tracks around. And, you know, of course, like I said, it's built in the pine land, so if you go off the end of the track, they're going to be hunting you through uh, <laughs> you know, trees. And, you know, we, we lost more than one racer at the end of the track, you know, trying to find him when he ran out in the, the early days when the lighting wasn't the best and guys would run off the end of the track, and, you know, you'd send out a search party trying to find him. Interesting. Now, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because
because I was looking at some of the early videos, and I remember even when we had a racetrack down here, and I don't know if this rings a bell, but back in the 60s, it was there popular back in the 50s. Throughout the mid-70s, I think it was called Twin City. At one time, it was called the Golden Triangle. Does that uh-huh. name, does that, Twin yeah. City Dragway, does that ring a bell? Yeah, it does. Okay. Yep. Did you, so how, how far did you, what, what range did you travel back in the early days? So like in the 60s when you first started announcing, were you just there at ATCO, or did you go to other tracks around the southeast, for example? I used I used to do a lot of the uh, uh, the northeast uh, race tracks, and I work at uh, mostly at Atco. Then at Cecil County, I worked out in Pittsburgh. Uh, the guys that owned Atco eventually, you know, bought the Pittsburgh track, so I ran out there. And then in the seventies, um, I started doing all the I-Train National events. As a matter of fact, so I came down to the the Bristol's and the Rockinghams, came down to Lakeland, Florida. Okay, um, did the races down there. Um, so I traveled, and I did 12 years' worth of the um, the IHRA national events. And then in the early 80s, I started uh, working for the uh, for the NHRA. But uh, the only thing that I really didn't get to do that I miss from my early days in, in racing was not go to the uh, the classic Southern California tracks. I mean, I, I never went to Irwindale or Orange County or my favorite track in the world, Half Moon Bay, which I've never been to. But um, I would like to have been able to experience some of them. And, of course, you know, the way I tell the story, a lot of the guys out there never got to come to Atco or Cecil County or Capitol or Costco, so it, it kind of all balances out. Although the Southern California tracks had a little more panache, I think, to them, to the average uh, drag racing fan than, than some of our eastern tracks did. Well, it's funny you mention that because I grew up in Northern California, so Half Moon Bay is San Francisco area, basically. And, of course, Lyons was further south. That was more yeah. like L.A. And it's interesting because... Remember all the 50s, 60s movies, the hot rod movies, the drag race movies, you know, right. the beach blanket bingo movies and so on. Yeah. So as a kid growing up in Northern Cal, as far as we're concerned, there, past the Nevada-California border, there wasn't anything. So yeah. then you hear the stories. It wasn't until I moved to Florida I hear the stories about this swamp rat guy. And I go, swamp rat? Who's that? What's a swamp rat? You know, yeah. sure, we knew, we had Tommy Ivo, right? You guys had the swamp rat over here or the, yeah. the southeast. And it was pretty amazing because Don Gartless pretty much uh, – Put a serious hurting on the California boys back in the day. Yeah, well, he, he came out to Bakersfield during 59, the first year they ran that, and he kind of came back with his tail tucked between his legs because he got kicked pretty good. But then he came back in 1960 and, you know, showed them, you know, that he's, that he's a pretty fast learner. And then um, even going into, like, 65 at Bakersfield, which was the biggest drag race in the country at the time. I mean, it was probably even bigger than the Nationals. You know, had, like, 130 top fuel cars. And in 1965, he won the the Saturday program, then he took his Sunday car, and he won the Sunday program, and technically ran, wound up racing himself in the final round out there. So uh-huh. there, there was nothing like Garlitz going out there and showing the California guys. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of pride. They took a lot of uh, uh, you know pride in saying that the California cars were the best, and they really kind of felt that after that first Bakersfield race, because you know he he didn't do well at all, but he found out that you can put a supercharger on these cars and make them run, and the rest, as they say, is history. You know, and you can see that a lot of. Yeah, if you just swing by his museum and take a look at some of the cars out there. But, yeah, it was, it was always interesting. But the, the California cars, their meets, their tracks, just had so many more of the fuel, of the fuel dragsters at the time, and there really wasn't any comparison to any place else in the country. No, it's funny you talk about ADCO. Now, so you, you guys had an unbelievable, you know, shutdown lane. And then you mentioned Lakeland, and I remember going to Lakeland and watching the guys. The shutdown lane was so short there, you went up in a swamp because there's a ditch with a bunch of water in it right after the shutdown lane there at Lakeland. So, well, I was announcing that the day that Billy Meyer ran his car into the into the lake there and almost drowned. I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it was just ironic. I mean, if it weren't for the fact that he had those big, fat balloon tires on the back, that funny car would have sunk. And, 
you know, the, the, the guy sitting on the porch of his house watching the car figure, and they were trespassing on his property, so he wasn't going to help. But, yeah, it was very interesting, you know, to take a look at some of his old tracks like that. But it's funny you mentioned Lakeland because, you know, when I was announcing the IHA race there and Billy ran off the end of the track, it's, it's a moment that we all remember. And since he survived, you can remember with a smile. Now, Lakeland, now, you know, they refer to, let's see, um, Pomona is the Winter Nationals. The Grand Nationals is Indy, right? Well, the Grand, Na- the Grand Nationals, there actually was a race called the Grand Nationals. That was out in Stenaire, Canada, you know. Okay. They call Indy the Nationals. They're called the Granddaddy of all. Every sport has a granddaddy of something or other, and that's what Indy is. Okay, it's like the Super Bowl of, of drag yeah. racing. Yeah. Okay. And then, but I, if I remember correctly, um, let's see, wasn't what one of the events in Florida was called the Snowbird Nationals or something like that? Well, the Snowbird was a race that they held down uh, usually in Bradenton, Florida. Okay. Um, it was not a national event, but it was a national caliber event. Okay. Uh, the racing season was over or hadn't begun, depending on which time of the year they ran it. And most of the big cars would go down. And of course, Scarlet's was always one of the big draws there. So, yeah, they ran that down there. It was called the Snowbird Nationals, but it was not technically an NHRA national event. But it was a great race to run. And, uh, and since there wasn't anything else going on in the country, especially in the East at that time of the year, you know, all, all the big cars would come there. They had top fuel, funny car, you know, pro stocks and everything. So that was, a, that was a really good race to go to and to win. Okay. Now, we used to go to that, but Lakeland, you, let's go back to Lakeland for a I used to go to Lakeland all the time in the 70s, but I can't remember what that was called, that event. I want, uh, well, that was the uh, that was the IHRA Winter Nationals. That okay, was what it was is their kickoff race for them when they when they started in '71 when they started with the full season there. So that was their first race they ran. They ran that for a couple years and they wound up running it down in Miami Hollywood for a while too, and you know okay. shifted around. Then then it wound up being up at Darlington. But when it, when the IHRA race was there and the big race was there it was the IHRA Winter Nationals. Okay, now does the name Hazley Hood ring a bell? Oh yeah, Hazley was the announcer at Lake at Lakeland when I went down there. Okay, yeah, he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. He's announced for a long while. I mean, knows you more about drag racing, especially about guys from down that part of the area, than I ever will. And is just a great personality, and and you know, just very well thought of in the business. He's he's still around. He's semi-retired. Also, he was doing some stuff here at Sunshine or Showtime Speedway, Sunshine yep. actually, and then then he was down at Lake or Bradenton, I think. And then I think he's just kind of taking it easy now too. So, um, tell us a little bit about some, give us some good stories. You know, some of the guys back in the day. Now, I know you're a great storyteller. You're full of wit. So, I want you to I want you to have me laughing so hard, and everybody else, so I fall out of my chair. Oh, that's why. That's too much pressure. That's like telling a comedian to tell me a funny joke. You know. <laughs> you know. I mean, I mean, there are so many stories. I'll tell you a very contemporary story. Okay. Because I'm I'm in the process of trying to fill in a lot of the old race results from the early. 60s, the reporting in National Dragster was not, you know, what you would expect it to be. You know, they would list all the cars by their names, like, you know, the Champion Automotive ran the A&B Speed Shop, and, you know, the winner got to take on, you know, the Ben Pillow Speed Shop car, and they never tell you who, who won, and that's how they would list them. So I'm in the process of trying to find out a lot of the uh, the names of the guys that actually ran them. So I was looking at a, at a result from 1962, and it just had a picture of a Plymouth, and it said the Flying Texan on it. It had no name, no car number that I could identify. But it did have a, a sponsor name. It had Derwood Coffee Transmission Shop on it from Fort Worth, Texas. So I figured, well, that's a good place to start. So I, I Googled or whatever I did on my computer here to find Derwood Coffee, and up pops Derwood Coffee Transmissions from Fort Worth, Texas. I wow, this is way too easy. So I called the number down there, and the uh, the guy said, oh, no, that business has been out of business for eight years. We just happen to keep the same phone number. And, you know, I have no idea where they might be. So, okay, so I go back to try to find Derwood Coffee again and 
find a 70-year-old guy living up around Detroit, Michigan. I figured, well, if he's 70, that's about the right age. I'm racing back in the 60s. So I called the guy up, and I said, are you Derwood Coffee? And he said, yes, I am. I said, well, you know, I, I said, I'm Bob Fry, and I'm a drag racing historian, so to speak, and I'm trying to track down the Derwood Coffee that ran this Plymouth. And he goes, well, that's not me. He said, I have no idea anything about drag racing. I went, really? And your name's Derwood Coffee, you know? And, and at the same time that he said it, I'm thinking to myself, can there be two people in the country named Derwood Coffee? You know, I mean, it's it's not like it's Joe Smith or something. So I asked him, I said, well, now that I have you on the phone, what, what do you do for a living? He said, well, I'm an artist. I said, oh, good. How's business? He goes, oh, I'm just rolling in the money. He said, I don't know what to do with all the cash. I said, well, good for you. And then he said, no, I'm an artist. He said, and the last thing I painted was a blowfish. Really? <laughs> so I'm talking to him and Googling up and. You know, I never did find who drove the flying Texan, but I now have a really nice 8x12 oil painting of a blowfish on my wall. So. <laughs> you know, I still have no idea where the other Derwood Coffee is, you know. But it, but I, I just love the challenge of trying to track down uh, these these old people, you know. I mean, uh, it's just a marvelous thing. One of the uh, To go back to one of the very early stories, when I was working at ATCO, I was still in the service at the time in McGuire Air Force Base, and we used to be able to take all the time off and come down and work at the racetrack. Well, Jungle Jim Lieberman and Lou Arrington had come from the West Coast, and they were just starting to, to make a name for themselves here in the East, and they were going to run their cars down at ATCO, and, and the guys at the track came to me and they said, oh, we got these two leakers over here, and you know they want to stay here and take the, you know, make some runs down the track, but you know we don't want to stay with them because you know nobody ever heard of these guys. Of course, you know Jungle Jim turned out to be one of the biggest names in the sport. Well, Jungle Jim goes down and proceeds to blow his engine up and oils the whole track down. Well, my friend and I, not wanting to let the other guys know that they were right, that these apparently really are leakers, they go out and we spent about three and a half hours cleaning up all this oil and then got to play spotless. So when the guys came back to the track on Saturday, they'd have no clue that, that these guys, you know, blew up the engines and we wouldn't have to hear that, oh, I told you they were a bunch of leakers. So. All right, let me, ask, hang, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Leakers, is that a term that they use in drag racing for guys to scatter their engines? Yeah, that's it. You know, if you're a leaker, you know, when, when you're coming up to the starting line, they're firing up the emergency vehicles, you know. <laughs> okay. they, every time he comes up, he's going to blow up, you know, leak oils, you know, do something to cause the, the track. It, it's probably the, the most derogatory term you could give to a, a racer, you know. So, oh, God, he's a leaker. You know, <laughs> okay. so, so, yeah, it's not, not a good thing. So we clean the whole place up, and it's like just spotless. And the guys come back, and they go, well, I, See, those two leakers, you know, blew up on Wednesday, huh? And I said, geez, how would you guys find out? And he said, because they left their engine block sitting there in the staging lane. So we <laughs> cleaned up the whole track and sweated like dogs for three and a half hours. We walked back, and there's an engine block. You can look through one side and see the sun coming through on the other, you know. <laughs> you know but I, run, I got to be really good friends with Jungle after that. I, he turned out to be one of the great stars in the sport, you know, like the, the John Force of the 1970s, you know. And, um but there are just so many different things. A friend of mine, Grady Bryant, uh, wrote a book called Match Race Madness. And uh, Grady was a, a racer uh, back in the 60s and 70s from down in Texas. And he's got a book about 50 different, you know, great stories of all the things he used to do that you thought were funny. You know, the guy put the car up in the trailer, you know, when you're at the end of the night, and then the guys would lock the door of the trailer, and he'd be in there while you're driving, you know, 1,200 miles to the next race, and he's still sitting back in the trailer. and. You know, all, all the things that they thought were, you know, funny, going, you know, I, I thought you put the brakes on and you thought I put the brakes on. We're watching our car roll down the track or something like that. But, you know, they, there are things that if you if you go back and you talk to the guys now, you think, yeah, we're pretty much idiots. You know, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't believe we did that stuff. And uh, But it, uh, I sat with, with Jungle Jim and his, his whole team up in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and 
there about five or six guys that were coming to Atco to race, and they're there, and it's a hot summer day, and the, the good humor guy comes rolling by. He's got his truck, and he sees all these cars there, and he comes over to look at the cars, and while he's do, looking at the cars, Jungle Jim's taking all the ice cream out of the other side of the good humor truck. You know? <laughs> he thinks it's a ride. Well, the guy gets done seeing the cars, gets back in his truck, drives halfway down the block. There's, you know, two little seven-year-old kids, you know, standing on the side, you know, wanting to get ice cream, and we're just sitting there waiting for this guy to open the open the door to his good humor truck and see that there's nothing left <laughs> nothing left in there. He turned around and you know, looked around and saw 30 guys just sitting there eating their ice cream cones. You know? <laughs> now, it's like one of those things, like it's a practical joke that's funny if it's not happening to you. If it's not happening, exactly. Now, of the, of, the, of the cars that raced, did you have any particular classes that you liked? I mean, you know, like when I grew up, I was a big fan of Superstock because that was a car that I could relate to because I could see that car and I could see it at the, you know, street race against it or it was, you know, more identifiable. So, and then, of course, obviously you had the funny cars back then, early AFX cars and Top Fuel and, and, and things of that nature. So, which cars did you kind of, did you have, uh, did you, anything in particular, any class that you liked more than any other? What's funny over the years, I've really, uh, I've really grown to love the guys that race in the sportsman classes. You know, you have the Top Fuel Funny Car Pro Stock and the, and the Pro Stock Motorcycles, all in the professional classes. But you know, since when I grew up, I, I got to know so many of the guys that race the sportsman class. I love the super stock cars. I mean, you know, I'm talking about back in the 1960s and right. 70s. You know, the big super stock cars, mm-hmm. and then uh, a class that unfortunately is is dying out right now is Competition Eliminator. I mean, you had the Gassers, the Modifieds, and the Aikano dragsters and the greats like you know the, the great John Lingenfelder used to race in this class and there was and, and Ronnie Sox and Buddy Martin started with it Bill Jenkins started out in these classes Glidden there everybody I really really thoroughly enjoyed them I enjoyed the ingenuity I enjoyed the the stories for the teams that that run them you know um, and I used to say that if I had my if I had my brothers you know give me a good thirty two car competition eliminator field with the like at Indy they run a sixty four comp eliminator field and. And I just absolutely love it. I mean, I just think it's the epitome of what the what the sport's all about. You know, the guy that's you know got a job and closes up his shop on Thursday night to get to the track on Friday or you know Wednesday to get there on Thursday, whatever he does, um, and just trying to build a better mousetrap. You know, certainly not doing it to to make a living because you can't make any money running those cars, especially nowadays. It's so expensive to to build. But I absolutely loved all of them. I mean, the other cars are great. Um, and you know, without them, they probably wouldn't. You know, I probably wouldn't have been working for all these years. But you know, if I had a chance to watch a, a really good super stock battle or a really good competition eliminator cars, I would. I would much rather see them. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's kind of the grassroots part of the uh, the whole racing event. You know, I mean, because just like you said, that's the guy that the hobbyist that gets out there and runs, and he generally doesn't make any money or not enough to. Uh, you know, support the habit, so to speak, yeah. and uh, you know. But I mean, but that's the that's the classes. Those are the classes that, that the average guy like myself can kind of identify with. You know. Yeah, and there there are actually a couple of guys. I've seen a couple, probably a few dozen in there now, that actually do that for a living. They bring two cars to each event. I mean, there's the David Rampy and Dan Fletcher and several of these guys. I mean, that's their job. They race for a living, and they race in the sportsman classes. You know, um, and they're very good at it. You have to be because you go to a race and. You know, you might find 100 guys running in super stock or 100 guys in, in super comp eliminator or something. So it's, it's certainly not easy. But when you do it for a living and do it as much as they do, they should be and usually are better than the guy that maybe comes out and runs, you know, one national event a year. But I, I've always loved the guys that do that because that's what, that's what made the sport great. And that's why it started initially. You know, guys who were just out racing their cars and wanted to come out and, you know, have a good, safe place to race. And, and they were the ones that made this sport what it is. So it's it's great to go out and watch them, watch them. And they have some great stories, you know. 
you know, I'll never get the first guy that he interviewed. I was doing the NHRA Today TV show back in the early 90s and had the guy that raced this weekend. Rusty Hall was racing, and I figured my big TV interview, my big break here, and I went to interview him. I said, Rusty, congratulations on your win. Tell me about your car. And he just went, it's a Chevy. <laughs> and that was the whole interview, and I sent it back to the producers, and they said, you yeah, Try to get Rusty to talk a little more next time. Now, you try to get Rusty to talk a little more next time. <laughs> then I went to the next race, and he won again. And I said, I'm going to interview the other guy <laughs> this time. You know, and I, I interviewed one guy, and to be I'll never forget Jimmy Bridges. He'd been racing for 37 years, and, and he got done racing, and I'm interviewing him in the, on the winner's circle. And I said, Jimmy, you've been racing for 37 years. I said, you must have a lot of people you want to thank. And he went, nope. No, oh, well, okay. Interview's over. Next. <laughs> I mean, 37 years and stayed with us. We finally won a race. I mean, good heavens. That's, yeah, that's dedication. After about 30 years of not winning, I'd have taken up bowling or something like that. I hear that's a nice sport. Back in the day, who were some of the real interesting um, characters that you interviewed? Did you ever get a chance to interview, um, what was his name, Peter, Peter, the guy that raced the cameras out of, out of Florida, the engineer, or it was Atlanta. But he was real good friends with Harvey Crane, and he used to run... Pete Robinson? That's it, Pete Rupp, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Pete, in fact, it's funny, I just... Uh, somebody just he was he was killed out there at uh, Pomona in the early seventies and has had somebody just sent me a whole batch of uh, stories about him you know being killed out there at that race and he was absolutely a genius way ahead of his time in fact he had some uh, interesting uh, mechanical device on his car when it crashed and some people think that that might have been the the reason that he crashed you know he had some uh, ground effects things on it you know to try to keep the car. You know, down on the ground and everything like this. But he was absolutely a a genius. He came to Atco a couple of times. I did get to talk to him, not nearly as much as as I would have liked to. You know, um, and just the unfortunate part about it, you know, for guys like him uh, that ran in the early days, it it wasn't the safest sport. I mean, back in the in the early sixties and mid sixties, you know, the racing a hundred cars, hundred top fuel cars out at the tracks in California and you know, they'd kill one a week, you know. They were trying different things. The cars were really poorly built. You know, they didn't have a lot of safety inspection. And, you know, and, and Pete in 1971 had this great ground effects car and, you know, just wound up crashing. And uh, and, and it was a shame. Uh, you, you take a look at some of those early cars. You talk to a guy like a Don Garlitz, even a Chris Caramacinas, who's in his 80s and still racing, or Connie Coletta, who, you know, had some great cars back in the 60s. And you say, you know, you guys are running these cars. I mean, I'm not the most mechanically inclined guy in the world, but, you know, your your head's sticking out in front of the roll cage, your elbows are sticking out the side <laughs> of it, and they went, yeah, we should have died. You know, I mean, we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, I saw a picture the other day, a guy running down, uh, setting a record on a motorcycle, going like 140 miles an hour in a T-shirt on a sanctioned drag strip. You know, so just very weird. But it, interesting you would mention Pete Robinson. He was absolutely a genius, way ahead of his time and and a, and a little known fact everybody you know called him sneaky pete robinson and his his name wasn't even pete his name was lewis russell robinson and not many people know that interesting well now it's funny because that that oh, i shouldn't say funny i mean it's sad because that particular event he had a, a regular driver and the driver wasn't doing as the story goes or as i read it recall it from back in the day the driver yeah. it was either afraid to drive the car or didn't want to drive the car or something like that. Pete yep, actually got he got in himself and then it it it, it screwed up. Yep. Yep. And the world's probably full of those kind of uh, stories, you know. I mean, 
Well, look at Garlitz when he when his car blew apart there, and you know when when his foot got mangled and everything like that, and he wound up there in the hospital too. I mean, it and he's lucky because he's here to say, look, I I I decided that the motor really needs to be behind us. Yeah, well, I used to tell everybody when I was announcing, I said, you look at some of those big blow-ups. I mean, the, the Doug Herbert explosion that he had at Pomona. I mean, a lot of the big engine explosions and stuff. I said, every time a guy gets out of one of them, he said, you know, get on the ground and, you know, face Florida and bow to Don Garlis for creating that, you know, rear-engine car. I mean, Garlis certainly was not the first to come up with a rear-engine car, but he was the first one to come up with one that actually worked, mm-hmm. you know, and it revolutionized the sport, you know, within a year. It obsoleted every, every front-engine car in the sport. Except funny cars. The motor's still in front of you. Yeah, I know. They tried it once. You know, there were probably, uh, I don't know, I would say a handful, but there were probably a dozen or so rear-engine funny cars over the years. You know, Jim Dunn had the one that he won the Super Nationals with um, that was the only successful rear-engine car. You know, and I guess they they found out that, I mean, they were twin-engine funny cars, for goodness sakes, for a while, you know. But I guess they found out that, uh, you know, it... it not that, not that I guess. They obviously found out that it works better <laughs> in the front. Otherwise, they'd have been running, you know, more of those rear engine cars. But it was strange because more of those rear engine cars crashed than one. You know, so if you're looking at it for a while, you go, yeah, it might might seem like a good theory, but you know what? Let's, you know, let let's try the more conventional method. You know, and it is funny because the engine still sits in front of them and they still blow up. And you know, although they're much more contained now than they than they were back. In the early days of the sport, you know, you can, you can blow the engine up now, and the driver doesn't even get oil on him, you know? Right. Now, we got a few minutes left. Tell us about Bobtails. Well, it was a, uh, a idea that the people in National Dragster had, and they said, look, we'd like to have somebody write a column for our back page in the National Dragster, um, and we think that you might be, you know, good at it. So I started, I wrote one column, they got pretty good response to it, and then I wrote it for 20 years. I mean, it was a... It was a wonderful thing to do, and a little little signature at the end where I'd put, you know, ten names together that, you know, all had something to do with one another, and the biggest thing that happened after that was everybody wanted to, you know, have their name in the back of my column, you know. So, come on, put my name in the back of your column. I said, no, you can't get in by asking, you know. You have to just just read it, you know, and then I'd find out who really read it. Well, I read your column all the time. I'm saying to myself, uh, no, you don't. Your, your name was in the last week. You didn't say anything. So, but it was wonderful. I really enjoyed it, and I was – and it was, the funny part about it was, I started in early early 1990 or something, and I said vote for the better part of 20 years, and uh, never put an email address in when emails came up because I figured it's too easy for people to to write like that to you. So I just put my actual home address in, and I was always surprised at how many actual letters. I mean, people would take the time to sit down and handwrite a letter, which is a lost art, you know, and and uh, send it in and comment on the stories. And when I was down at uh, Gainesville this past weekend, I had two two people that came up and said, "Hey, I want to thank you for you know, putting my name in your bobtails column." I said, well, "When was that?" They said, oh, yeah, "1974." And I felt real good. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen me since 1994, huh? you know. So, but it was wonderful. It was really I I just enjoyed. It. I had a lot of fun with it. The the people at National Dragster gave me a uh, you know carte blanche. I mean, they always had something to do with drag racing. You know, whether it was you know me getting lost going to a race or you know hanging out with Don Garlitz or doing something with some of the teams. Um, you know, I came up with, like, all name teams for some of the great names in drag racers, some of the great towns that I visited, you know, from you know, Toad Suck, Arkansas, and some of the big places like that. So we had, we had a lot of fun with it. It was, it was very nice. And, and uh, to this day, I still have a lot of people that say they, they really enjoyed it. And, and let's face it, in there when people go to computers and all that kind of stuff, for people to take the time and, 
you know, read something that was, you know, written. There were no pictures with it or anything. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool to do. Very flattering. Excellent. Well, Bob, we're just about out of time. Are you, uh, real quickly, are you going to write a book? No. No. <laughs> Two biggest groups of people in the world, those that were going to be lawyers and those that are going to write a book. And I went, <laughs> no. Okay, we had a great time. Would uh, I'd love to invite you back on the show again? So how about you know maybe uh, halfway down the year, see how you're doing, and you can come back, revisit, and tell some more stories. Would you be game for that? Sure. Do I do I get some nice parting gifts or what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> free haircut from Hazley Hood or what? Yeah, that's that's. Oh, you brought that up. You remembered he was a yeah he was a barber. Yeah. So. But anyway, but yeah, hey, uh, Bob, I really want to thank you very much for coming on the show. I want to thank uh, all my listeners for tuning in tonight, too, also, and uh, thank our special guest, Bob Fry. And now, Bob, if want, people want to follow you a little bit, how do they find out about you, and how do they keep in touch with you? Got to write me on the... Yeah. <laughs> Got to write you. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't do Twitter. I don't do, you know, Facebook or any of that stuff. I, uh, I have a flip phone that embarrasses my grandkids every time I bring it out, you know, so... Uh, you know, I, I, I am at Bob Fry at earthlink.net if anybody wants to send any comments, uh, suggestions, uh, you know, get their name in Bobtails. You know, like <laughs> I just don't do that. I, I have too much, you know, going on, and, you know, I just don't see the, uh, the need to... <laughs> they can see everybody it. know that I'm, uh, you know, walking the dog this morning. Or okay, well, we'll, we'll see some of the NHR events and probably at SEMA, right? I will definitely be at the SEMA show again, and I am going to uh, go out to... Um, California next week. I'm going to host the uh, 80th anniversary of TV Tommy Ivo, the super famous drag racer, Mouseketeer, and movie star. So I got invited out to do that. That'll be cool. Super. All right. Hey, Bob, take care of yourself, and uh, we'll uh, talk to you here at the next major event. Yeah, next time, don't call Collect, okay? I didn't know okay. going to talk to you. <laughs> I won't do that. Me. Okay. Hey, in the meantime, right. I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgia Good Cars. Be sure and tune in every Tuesday for the most legendary fast name names is Motorsports. Check out Speed Culture, the Enthusiast Mobile app, to find out where all the car shows this weekend. Happy Easter to everybody, because I think it's Easter this weekend. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, love your family. Telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you ten dollars if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you jump cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDTF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You jump cracker.